that God has given me. Uh, he gave me a thought yesterday uh, concerning this, and um, I uh, did a lot, of, some quite a bit of research, some of my own, uh, some various other things that I've been delving into. And I'm going to title this since our, I do miss our PowerPoint, but Brother Eldar should be back, I hope, this week. Um, but I'm going to title this tonight, and I will get to, uh, I'm going to read you my scripture in just a few moments. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, but I'm going to title this tonight, When Heaven Says Yes, But My Heart Says No. When Heaven Says Yes, But My Heart Says No. We are um, living in very trying times, very difficult times. Um, and there is so many things that are pulling on us as far as just uh, as humanity as a whole, whether you're young or whether you're old, it doesn't really matter. There's just a great deal that's pulling at us. Uh, that's, uh, I, and I, I know, and what I'm going to hit on here is, is uh, I, I'm just going to be talking about how sometimes outside, outside of God's Word, we can really get confused. Uh, when you start going outside of God's Word, a lot of times what you think is right, what you think is wrong, uh, and again, it's not according to His Word, it can be a confusing time. And I, I want to I touch on this tonight. I think it's so important because in my heart, in my spirit, I feel like I've got about a half a dozen people that are dealing uh, in a very, very big way with what I'm about to speak on. And I want you to be honest with yourself and allow the Word to come into your heart. And at the end of this, this altar is going to be open for you to come down and let God take the confusion out. Are you with me this evening? We want the confusion taken out. Right now, I'm going to raise my hand. You're raising your hands, Lord Jesus. I pray over this congregation. I release faith. And I pray this evening, God, that you would take every spirit of confusion, Jesus, be completely removed. Every distraction, God, would be completely taken care of. Now open the hearts and open the minds and open the spirit of each and every one that is here. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost fall upon this congregation, I pray, here this evening, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Most of everybody in here has heard of Chuck Swindoll. And he tells a, a story. I've read the comic a few times since I'm kind of into that kind of thing. But uh, he tells a story of a comic strip character. <clears throat> His name is Willie. And one of the series, Willie is he's slumped in front of a television set. He's got a coffee cup resting on his pot belly, and he's knocking ashes off his cigar in the coffee cup. Now, <clears throat> Willie is wondering why his wife is not nagging him for his behavior. He can't figure that all out. So he finally says, you're awful quiet this morning, Mamie. And she answers him with this. She said, Willie... She said, I've decided to let your conscience be your guide on your day off. In the next scene, Willie's surrounded by lawn utensils, lawn mowers, edgers, hoes, and shovels, and he's frantically washing windows while he mutters, every time I listen to that dumb thing, I end up ruining my relaxing. 
any time he listens to his conscience, something messes with his laziness. That's what he's saying. And, of course, that dumb thing he is describing is his conscience. A person's conscience is as difficult to manage. Has anybody ever dealt with honeysuckle? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever ignorant enough to plant it? Dealing with your conscience is like dealing with honeysuckle. You simply cannot manage it, or managing it rather. And it's a whole lot easier to manage honeysuckle than it is your conscience. It, it usually hurts when we do something wrong. That's how it normally works. And at times, however, the conscience will hurt not when we are doing something wrong, but when we are doing something right. In 1 John three eighteen through 21 the Bible says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Now the Bible says confidence ends it with confidence towards God. This is missing or rather, this is a missing commodity in many people's lives, as our confidence in God. And John tells us the reason. He says, our heart condemnation, or the troubling of the conscience. When this happens, our trust in God becomes small. When your conscience begins to condemn you, and your heart begins to condemn you, then your confidence in, your, in, your, uh, in God begins to get smaller and smaller. And we're dealing with some of that in the congregation. And I know that, and especially in the time that we're living in, with the economy being the way it is, with people hurting the way they have been hurting, uh, we've heard some great things, and some great things are happening at the church. But on the other side of it, there's also some people looking around saying, why don't I receive a $1,000 check? Why doesn't that good stuff happen to me? And you're doing everything right, you can think of. But as a result, you begin something begins to happen inside, and you begin to question. Your confidence in God begins to grow smaller and smaller. And by the authority of the Word of God this evening, we are going to see some things change. You're going to feel some difference in your life. You're going to feel God begin to give you that impetus that you need to carry yourself over this obstacle and begin to trust and know that God is going to do the same thing for you that he's done for others there's not a person in this building tonight who's not struggled with his or her conscience not one person the conscience can be the candle of the lord within us lighting our way or it can be the blanket of condemnation extinguishing every bit of your hope it can be either one of them a conscience is good when it leads us to victory in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Now I want you to look at that. A good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. We can compare faith to a ship's wheel and the conscience to the rudder. With both, we can sail through stormy seas and lose. And if we lose either one, you're going to falter and founder. It takes both of them. We have to have faith and we have to have a good conscience if we're going to make it in this life. A good conscience keeps us from veering off the assigned course and on the path to victory. It keeps you going towards victory if you do not listen to it telling you the wrong thing. 
Hear me now. A conscience is good when it encourages us. And I need that. And you need that. And, and there was a time in Paul's ministry when he was being severely attacked and he stood alone against powerful counsel of men. Well, I, I, and let me, let me phrase that correctly. Not quite alone according to the Scripture because he had a silent, invisible supporter called his conscience. In Acts 23, 1, he said, And Paul earnestly beholding the counsel said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He said, I have lived and my conscience has helped me and been with me towards God. He said, everything I've done, my conscience cannot condemn me for because my conscience has been in, in, in total reliance of the Holy Ghost. It's been in total reliance of God Himself and nothing has moved me from it. So thus, I can stand before you right now and know that everything's okay. You might kill me. You might take me out and torture me. But I have got a good conscience towards God. And it's not condemning me for my life. Oh, if you understand what I'm talking about, give him a hand clap of praise. Our conscience is good when it draws us away from temptation. And we all remember Joseph's story in Genesis 39 when he was tempted by his boss's wife. Conscience took Joseph by the hand and led him away. A good conscience develops a strong testimony. That conscience is there when you know you shouldn't do it. And it can help you develop a good testimony. I didn't give in to the temptation because God used my conscience to take me out of the way, to get me away from that thing which was tempting me. I didn't give in to it. Every time, every time the devil throws one bit of a drug or alcohol in front of you or he begins to talk to you in your mind when you're in that dark place in the evening time and he says, oh, why don't you go take another pill? Why don't you go do this? Or why don't you go do that? Why don't you take another drink? Your conscience that God has invaded, if you would, keeps telling you, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go through the condemnation that will accompany that. Let me tell you, friend, keep a good conscience towards God and everything will be fine with you. Someone once said this, it is a beautiful idea that every man has within a guardian angel. And that is true, too, for conscience is ever on the watch, ever ready to warn us of danger. A less sentimental view of this is found by Billy Graham's statement, and he said this, Most of us follow our conscience as we follow a wheelbarrow. We push it in front of us in the direction we want to go. So the conscience can be good, but the conscience can also go bad. Our conscience is bad when it fuels fear. As Solomon said, the wicked flee when no man pursues. In Proverbs 28, verse 1. When no one pursues. And this is understandable, but occasionally the conscience of a good man can fuel fear as well. Two explorers was in the jungle. It was on safari. And they was walking down the pathways. He came out in this, this little glen area, prairie-looking area, and there was a ferocious lion looking right at him, snarling, slime dripping off his fangs, looking at him, had the hungry look in his eyes. Any of you ever faced a lion with a hungry look in his eye? Now, one looked at the other, and he said, just remember what you read in the book. Okay? Just remember, if you stand perfectly still and you look the lion right in the eye, he'll turn and he'll run. 
The other man looked at him. He said, sure. You've read the book and I've read the book, but has the lion read the book? (laughs) We read the book, but we're not certain if the devourer of our souls reads the book. Come on now. The human heart can grow fearful. And I'm not speaking of chronic fear. I'm not speaking of a phobia, if you would. I've I've talked about that before. I'm talking about moments of timidity, uh, times that flashes of fear that come and go, and it leaves us unsettled. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm speaking of here tonight. A, A sensitive conscience can sometimes make us fearful about what others think and say about us. This is, this is when a, a conscience goes bad. It's when it goes bad. A conscience goes bad when it becomes hardened. Paul said that some people have allowed their consciences to be seared with a hot iron in 1 Timothy 4.2. Some people go do the wrong thing so long that regardless of what they read in the Bible, regardless of what they hear preached and they know it comes from the Bible, regardless of what happens, somebody they really trust can tell them the same thing, but they just simply no longer hear it. Because their conscience is no longer, no longer right. It's seared. I've used this analogy before, but years ago I used to, we used to shoe horses, and when a horse was foundered, we cut into his hoof, and sometimes the foundering would allow the blood supply to go low in the hoof, and you cut into it, and you had blood spurting out of that hoof. And the only way to stop that was to take an iron and heat it red hot and sear it. You had to sear that blood to stop it. And that's the only way he would stop bleeding. You had to do that. And it's the same thing with people. People, you see, that stopped the flow. And when our conscience becomes seared, there's no longer a flow from God to us. Or from us to God. It stops the flow. We no longer hear it. I can stand up here and preach and tell you why something is wrong. And your conscience becomes seared. You just look at me and agree and you shake your head up and down like this. But you never intend on doing one thing about it. Because the flow is off. You're not catching it. You're hearing me saying it, but the anointing is not reaching you. Because you've stopped the flow. Like a a misguided compass or an incorrect gauge. A, A conscience goes bad when it begins to give false readings. The conscience goes bad when it drives us to self destruct. Now, this was the case with Judas. Judas felt remorse over what he had done. He was not, he was not that foregone. Let's just be real honest about this, at least the honest the way I feel about it. He wasn't that far gone, but his conscience would not guide him correctly. God would have forgiven him, but his conscience was what was hurt. In Matthew 27, in the New Living Translation, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the other leaders, and he said, I have sinned. For I betrayed an innocent man. What do, and they answered him, what do we care? That's your problem. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the money onto the floor of the temple and went out and he hanged himself. We speak of Judas' betrayal of Jesus, but we don't talk of Judas' conscience betrayal of himself. His conscience betrayed him. And as with Judas, the conscience can say something like, everyone thinks I'm no good, so I might as well prove them right. Are you with me? If I'm no good and everybody tells me I'm no good, then I'm just going to be no good. You see, that's what happens in churches all the time. We take a person, we single them out, they do everything right, but we keep them on the hot iron for the next 30 years. 
I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right now. We keep them, we keep them riding the rail. They never get a break from us. And we just don't tell the truth about all of it because, you see, we would have been captured if we just had someone had been there. Oh, you know, isn't that the way we do? I get caught. Everybody hates me. He doesn't get caught, but he's done the same thing. Well, the difference is, is he can say, I made, right, I made it right with God. No one else has to know. I made it right with God, too, but everybody knows. Mm. You know, a bad conscience can lead a person to self-destruct. It's the old, it's, it's like this. It, it, uh, this may sound a little simplistic, if you would, but let, go there with me for a minute. I ate one French fry. I might as well eat the whole bag and order two more. You know? I messed up on that diet. I ate one French fry. Let's just go and just, let's just blow the whole thing. I do that every night at midnight. My wife doesn't know. I wake up. I got this anger in my stomach. And I slip into these. We got them big Hershey bars. Oh, God. Those things are just absolutely. And you know what? I'm slobbering all over myself trying to get back to And you know, keep the lights all off. And I go in to where the Hershey bar is. So I, and she don't care. But you know, I'm, I'm stealing. Stolen waters are sweet. All she has to do is get up the next day and see the thing's gone. So she had to either a mouse got it. <laughs> That's the conscience beginning to go bad. You see what I'm saying? You know, I, I messed up one time. I just, just might as well do the whole thing. Just blow the whole thing. Just give up and throw it out. Chuck it out. Oh, look what I did in the church today. Look what I, I messed up. I messed up big time. I didn't. I, I, I'm, I, I was supposed to fast today. And I forgot all about it. So I just might as well give up on God. He doesn't love me anymore because I didn't fast today. I didn't pray uh, yesterday for my uh, given hour. You know, I, I might as well just give up. Oh, I sat down. I sat down by by Kim Evans and and <laughs> that was enough right there. <laughs> I sat down by Kim Evans and I, and I, I listened to her talking badly about someone. I know it was me. Come on now, huh? We get the conscience can make you become paranoid. A bad conscience can make you. Now, I'm talking about a bad conscience. A bad conscience can make you paranoid. You begin to think that every time someone whispers on the aisle across from you that they're whispering about you. I've had people come and tell me that. How did you know that? Well, I just know in the Holy Ghost. Uh, you got a Holy Ghost, all right. You need to get the Holy Ghost of what you need. Mm. One more serious level of bad conscience mouths words such as, I failed God, I might as well give up. Self-destruction is usually on the other side of a bad conscience. Your wife can leave you, your husband can leave you, your kids can hate you, and you can either get right with God and keep on going, or you can allow your conscience to become seared and say, I might as well give up on God. I, you know, they must think I failed, so I'm just going ahead and fail. I'm just going to go to hell just to spite them. Come on, hear me what I'm saying. That's exactly what people do. They say, I'm going to spite those people. I'm just going to go to hell. 
Let me give you three couplets I think are important for you to know. These are three couplets you need to know. Conviction is the voice of a good conscience. Number one. Condemnation is the hiss of a bad conscience. Still a part of number one. Number two. A good conscience leads a person to repentance. A bad conscience leads a person to remorse. Repentance brings forgiveness and joy. Remorse brings guilt and sorrow. When you make things right with God, regardless of what you have done, when you come to this altar, or if you've made an altar at your home, or wherever it is, and you've repented of whatever bad that you've done, you should come out of that with joy. Don't let your conscience beat you up and condemn you and tell you you're going to hell. You believe God. You come and you bring fruits, meat for repentance. You show the church and you show God that you've repented, and you don't allow, you don't allow condemnation to destroy you. Praise God. I'll be the first one to say you need to have fruits of me for repentance. But you have got, if you don't, you'll never get the fruits. You'll allow condemnation to over, this overpower you. And you say, yes, I repented, but, yes, I repented, but, yes, I repented, but. And, and, and before long, you can't produce any fruits. Because you're so full of condemnation, you can't see anything good. You can't see anywhere but down. The conscience will rightly sound its voice when we sin. It will. And it should. But it also should lead a person to repentance and ultimately to freedom and to joy. And if a person is hung up with remorse, bondage, and sorrow, then they are listening to the wrong voice. They are listening to the hiss of condemnation. And I say hiss intentionally. I believe the enemy uses a person's struggle with forgiveness to seek to crush him. If you're struggling with forgiveness, the enemy's trying to crush you. And he will succeed if you don't lay all this stuff down on the altar and walk away from it and believe that God has taken care of it, which he has, and don't allow you come back and pick it up again. Listen, some of you folks come down here every night. We have a service. There's nothing wrong with you being on the altar if you're down here for the right thing. But sometimes I think that you lay something down on Sunday morning and come back Sunday night and pick it up. I've seen people during a, a revivals, you know, on Thursday, you come down the altar and you come back and pick it up on Friday. You lay it back down on Saturday and pick it up on Sunday. Then you go through the rest of the week with it. You come down. You've got a God that's bigger than all this. You've got a God that's bigger than all this. In Zechariah 3, the prophet saw Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord. On one side, Satan accused Joshua, and apparently he was making some headway because Joshua's garments were filthy. The Lord put an end to this with a question. He said, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Is not this. Didn't I save this person? Are you hearing me? Didn't I save this person? And he hushes Satan and commands that a chains of raiment be brought to the high priest. You see, that's what happens. Satan stands right beside you. You just repented of it. You made everything right. And Satan stands behind you and he puts filth all over your garment because you're condemning yourself. You can't quite get free. You know, I'm just going to go do it again. No, you don't have to. 
Who told you you had to go do it again? Is that you telling yourself that? And God says, is this not mine? Is this not a brand that was plucked from the fire? Is he not mine? Have I not saved him? You go get him a clean garment, Satan, and shut up. Don't give him anything. Are you going to do that tonight? Are you going to come down this altar and put it down once and for all, put on a clean garment, and allow condemnation to be cast into the lake of fire? John saw this drama played out in the life of believers. This apostle of love could not abide standing idly by. He saw people trying to live for God, but doing so with condemned hearts and guilty consciences. And maybe the night before, they went to sleep feeling good, but an inexplicable cloud of depression hangs over them come morning. Have you ever done that? Go to bed on Sunday night feeling great. Holy Ghost just moved all over you. And you wake up on Monday morning. I know a lot of us, you don't want to go to work. I realize that, but there's more to it than that. You just wake up depressed. What happened during the night? What happened during the night? They feel guilty and unworthy. Joy is squelched. Prayers are hindered. This is perhaps one of the more common problems with the children of God. We sometimes suffer from a bad conscience, a condemning heart. And we think about something we said and we wish we had said it differently. We wish we had just done something differently than what we did. We did something good, but others misjudge it. We allow their opinions of us to color our feelings. Our heart condemns us. You know all people say the wrong things at the right time. And some of us say the right things at the wrong time. And some people, they're going to judge you harshly regardless because they're jealous of you. Some people are not going to like you because you look different than they do. Some people think you're better looking than they are, and that upsets them. Some people think that you're skinnier than they are, and that upsets them. Some people be upset with you just because you exist. Come on. So what I'm saying is this. You're not going to make everybody like you. That's all my wife tells me all the time. I'm trying to work on that. I make everybody like me. Doesn't work. I know 90% of them are jealous because I'm so good looking. So I just come along with that and, and it just helps. It helps me understand it, you know. And that, that's how it works. <laughs> so, folks, we can't allow what people think of us to color our conscience, to, to cause our conscience to get our, our opinions cannot be messed with because somebody doesn't like us or they act like they don't like us. We can't allow that to happen. We can't allow their opinion of us to color our feelings. Our, heart, or our hearts are going to condemn us. And heaven says yes, but our heart says no. Heaven's doors are open, but our heart's doors are closed. Are you hearing me? Heaven says let's have revival, but our heart says, oh, we're unworthy. I can't have revival in me. Look at me. You're that same person that you was when you received the Holy Ghost. You've made a few mistakes along the way, but you, made, you, you repented of them. You listen, folks, there's none of us. I, I hate to do this to you, but none of us, including myself, is perfect. I repent every day. Even when I don't know what to repent of, I do it just because I think I need to. And you said, is that condemnation? No, because I might have messed up and didn't realize it. 
I just do the best I can and I don't want to walk through this life in a constant state of condemnation. I do not want my heart to constantly be squeezed in my chest because I feel like I might have done something wrong. Let's just have revival because we are worthy to have revival. Come on now. John said God is greater than our hearts. Aren't you glad your sin isn't greater than God? Our God is greater than our sin. Praise God. Your phantom feelings are not greater than God. Conscience is like a wheelbarrow guided by God and the the path that pleases Him. So how does one guide his conscience? How How do you do it? 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. People who are guided by love have fewer problems with an unmanaged conscience. If you're guided by love. If I tell him something and I know in my heart that I'm telling him something in love and he gets mad at me, I shouldn't be condemned over it. Now, if I tell it in the right spirit, the right attitude, and I know what I've done, and if I'm looking at him and I just don't like him and I just try to hit him with an axe in 238, that's, you know, then I'm, I'm wrong. But on the other side, if I do it in love, then my conscience should be cleared. It should be clear. So people who are guided by love have fewer problems. The law tells us what is right or wrong, but the royal law of love teaches us the ways of God. We treat others the way we like to be treated. If I got something that's going to send me to hell, I need somebody, if I'm not smart enough to figure it out, to tell me that it's going to send me to hell. And I don't want them to get up here and, and point me out and say, you know, maybe they used to do that 40 years ago, but I just assume you don't point me out saying in the congregation, you're going to hell if you don't straighten up, Robertson. But if you take me off to the side over here and say... Brother, this, Brother Robertson, I'm really concerned with your soul. I, I seen you the other day, and you were throwing rocks in the river, and I know that's going to mess you up. You know? And, and would you, you know, I, I just, I, I want you to go to heaven with me. I love you already, just by the way you told me. And you care enough to tell me. But you've got to be guided by love. Guided by love. To do right is good. To love your neighbor as yourself is better. The church in Corinth struggled over the issue of eating the meat once offered to pagan idols. Now listen to this. Some said meat is meat. Others were troubled with its association with false worship. Paul said that people with a good conscience could not normally be troubled by it. But those with a weak conscience maybe maybe have a problem with it. So let me ask you the question. Was it wrong to eat the meat? No, it was not. But what did Paul say? He said, I will no longer eat meat. Why did he say that? Because his love for the people trumped the law. If that is going to offend you, then I will not eat the meat. Not because I can't, not because it's sin, but because I love you. Reader's Digest, and in fact, I, one of the things I do sometimes in marriage counseling, I do this, was in Reader's Digest, and it was a section entitled Life in the United States, and this has been several years ago. 
And a man wrote to share an experience that occurred in his family. And he said his mother and father were having an argument in the middle, or having a severe argument, rather. And in the middle of the argument, his father suggested that they each get a piece of paper and make a list of the other's faults. The writer said they each started writing, and he said his mother wrote a long list. However, instead of writing faults, his father wrote the words, I love you, repeatedly down the side of his paper. Love covers a multitude of sins. When you love, your heart may hurt, but it will not condemn you. In the words of an old song, what you did, you did for love, and love has no regrets, none whatsoever. 1 John 3.19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. We have to submit to this truth. What is, what is good guilt and what is bad guilt? Is there a difference? Your conscience is not always a good guide to that. And usually the person who should feel bad doesn't and one who should feel good doesn't. And the quickest way to find out who is right in a situation is, is who feels bad. Now follow me. It's the mother saying to Solomon, let's let her keep the baby rather then cut it in half. The one who feels bad. That's the way to, to understand it. Other people are not always good guides either. Each person has his or her agenda, their own filter and their own bias. You can't always depend on someone else to guide you in that way. So what is the best guide? And we know what that is. Truth is the best guide. And God's Word is truth. God's Word is constant. The person who submits to God's Word is set free. That's what the Bible says, and it works, folks. If you submit to the Word of God, you will be set free. Someone said the truth will set you free, but it will make you uncomfortable in the process. You see, that's the whole point. A lot of us like living the way we are, and we know we need to do better, but we're uncomfortable because we know what truth does. It's like the person that I've known, I've known one in particular, and I've known others, that, that this person that could not pray for five minutes... And I wondered, and I wondered about this person. They'd come to the altar, and this was someone who was in church, been in church for years, and they could not pray for five minutes. And I asked God about it, and God spoke to me, and He told me, He said, well, it's because prayer puts me in contact with Him, and He don't want to know anything. He was afraid that what He was doing would be exposed. Not that He was a great sinner. It's just the fact that if God wanted him to do something else or do something different, he didn't want to know about it, so he wouldn't stay down in prayer and listen to God. Truth will set you free, but you will be uncomfortable. Accept the truth of God's Word. Submit to it. And if you judge, judge righteously. If you don't have to judge, don't do it at all. Don't let grudges build. Don't refuse to forgive. And when you submit to God's Word, you're training your conscience. That's how you train it. First John 3.20, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knoweth all things. And we have to accept God's verdict on a lot of things. And what do I mean by this? Simply this. Don't trust your judgment in a matter. Trust God's judgment. Don't trust your feelings. Trust God's. Don't accept your verdict. Trust God's verdict. When you keep wondering about why you feel the way you do, get into this Word and find the answer. It will tell you. It will tell you. When heaven says, yes, I love you, don't accept the verdict of a condemning heart. If God says He loves me while I was yet a sinner, He died for me, then I've got to believe that He loves me even though I messed up today. 
Dr. F.B. Meyer said, we make a mistake in trying always to clear ourselves. We should be wiser to go straight on, humbly doing the next thing and leaving God to vindicate us. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as a light and thy judgment as a noonday. There may come hours in our lives when we shall be misunderstood, slandered, falsely accused. At such times, it's very difficult not to act on the policy of the men around us in the world. They want to appeal to law and force and public opinion. But the believer takes his case into a higher court and lays it before God. That is some good words there. Trusting in God's grace is not an easy thing to do. It never was. And to find sufficient grace when you're being accused is rough business, but God's grace is available, and God's grace will transform you. It will transform you. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ loves you. That's all you need to find. That's all you need to understand. And if you really understand that, internalize that, you'll find yourself doing better every day. You won't just stand in that same place condemning yourself over and over and over again for something you've repented of. You'll go to the next thing. You see, if the devil can keep you doing the same thing over and over again, you'll never win a soul. You'll never see anything great in your life. You'll never see your children come to God. You'll never see any of it. You just constantly condemn yourself over and over. When God says it's over with, it's done. You're calling God a liar when you do that. <clears throat> Your confidence will be restored if you do it. Jesus loves and he forgives. Accept his verdict and have confidence for better things. I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear. Doubt and anxiety. And in, in anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. And these are not my native. It's not my native air. But in faith and in confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. At John Hopkins University, doctor says, we do not know why it is that warriors die sooner than non-warriors, but that is a fact. But I, who am simple of mind, think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul, for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. To live by worry is to live against reality. God doesn't want you living in fear. He wants you to live in confident life. That's what he wants. <sighs> Betty Maxfield was a survivor of 9-11. She was in the, the Pentagon uh, when all this took place. And to a Chicago Tribune reporter, she said, I should have been dead. We were all, for some reason, saved. My question now is, what am I supposed to do with it? I just can't go waste it. I thought I was living my life well before, but obviously there's more that I can do to, to say thank you for my life and a second chance at it. Is there more that I can do to say thank you for my life and a second chance at it? That's it. You got a second chance when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That new birth is a second chance. You've got that opportunity, and that's it. Don't... You're free. You have a new life. And what we have to do, every one of us, go forward. And let me take it one step further. Every day it's the same thing. Every day. 
Every day is another chance. Every day living for God is another opportunity. Every day is another chance. So what are you going to do with it? You're going to stay in one place and suffer in your mind and in your heart with condemnation, a conscience that is just simply driving you insane? Or are you going to say, God has got something better for me. I'm going to clear this thing once and for all. I'm going to believe that it's cleared. And I'm going to go to the next thing. If this church could learn every one of us to go to the next thing, how much more we could do? Do you realize that? If I could get half of the people to quit living in constant condemnation, do you know what we could do? The music comes. And I'm going to give you this poem. I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. Never put on. The enemy would like to keep putting that shabby old coat on us constantly. New beginning. Get rid of that old nasty me. That old, that old self-recriminating, that conscience seared, that, that, that person who's just constantly in regret all the time. That old shabby coat. He wants you to continue to wear it. And he'll do it. You have a choice tonight as you stand with me. You have a choice that you can take that thing off. Or if it's on, you can reject it. Or if Satan is standing before you trying to get you to put it on tonight, you can reject and say, no, I'll not put it on again. Tonight is the opportunity to once and for all take that heavy coat off and no longer wear it. And put on a garment of praise rather than a garment of heaviness. I read the story of a pastor who was asked to visit a retired pastor who was 94 years old. Now, this retired pastor had an exemplary record. He had grown old in the service of God. But when the visitor came, he found the pastor plunged into the depths of gloom and despair. The retired pastor said, I've been thinking about my life and how little it has counted for Jesus Christ. With tears running down his face, he looked up at me and he said, I wonder sometimes if I'm even saved. I want you to know something, folks. It can happen to a man of God like this. It happened to John the Baptist. It can happen to any man of God. And it can happen to you. It can happen to every one of us. These men felt like they were unable to be a productive service to the king. The problem was a condemning heart. They'd done everything they could do. But their heart was condemning them. But to each man and to each of you today, I say God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. When your heart says no, God is busy saying yes. Turn away from that flashing flashing caution light of condemning conscience and turn to the one who loves and cares for you. Turn to that one with me. Heads bowed this evening. I'm not going to make a great altar call. I shouldn't have to. 
You know if you feel if you fill the role I have just spoken of. You know if your conscience is condemning you. You know if you're constantly being berated by things that you've tried to put behind you. But regardless of how many times you've tried and how many times that you've repented, you still get hounded by this. This is Satan standing behind you, making your garment filthy. And you have an option this evening to take off that shabby, dirty coat and put on something that is better. Putting on a new garment that Jesus would like to hand you this altar is open for you this evening this altar is open and again i am not going to make a lengthy call i should not should not you know this is an opportunity to get rid of condemnation once and for all this has hounded you and hounded you and hounded you